Hello and welcome. This is Exhibit AI, a podcast exploring contemporary legal issues for tomorrow's technology, presented by the Center for Legal and Court Technology, or CLCT. My name is Taylor Treese. I'm the Buswell Postgrad Fellow and Assistant Director for Research at CLCT. I'm Daniel Shin. I'm currently a Graduate Fellow at CLCT and a 3L at William & Mary Law School. Today we have an exciting episode planned. Once hailed as the car of the future, self-driving vehicles are quickly becoming a reality. Today's episode is all about that. Autonomous vehicles, or AV, and the subsequent and current state of AV regulation. Here with Daniel and I to discuss it is David Lim, one of CLCT's graduate fellows at William & Mary Law School. Hi, David. Hey, Taylor. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Self-driving cars sounds pretty self-explanatory, but what exactly are autonomous vehicles? Explain a little bit what we're talking about. So most people know what self-driving cars are or, you know, what a conception of it is, uh, at least in its final form. And it's uh, basically cars that can drive themselves. And as we approach that, we're seeing that more and more features that require human attention are being kind of whittled away so that we don't have to worry about those features. And these features include backing up, parking into a tight spot on a city street, things like that. Mm-hmm. So the as you're saying, too, when when you kind of think about, oh, a car driving itself, I think it's sometimes hard to remember all of the little things that a human driver does do. Uh, So where are we in terms of developing an autonomous vehicle? How close are we getting to that fully self-driving car? We're approaching, I think we're approaching fully autonomous vehicles pretty quickly. Um, The SAE has uh, delineated various levels of automation uh, for self-driving cars, and it goes from zero to five, but the... uh, I, I suppose the, the easiest way to describe it is zero being there are no autonomous features and five being it's fully autonomous. Everything in between, kind of, it's just matters of degree. So uh, one being what most cars have, like lane keep assist, stuff like that. And you you basically go from level to level, increasing the number of features or number of functions that human drivers no longer have to worry about. Right. And when you said SAE, what, what is that? That's the Society for Automotive, Automotive Engineers. Okay. Well, very interesting. So as we're approaching more advanced technologies, who, who are really the leaders in this space? So at least I think when most people think about self-driving cars uh, at, in terms of the mainstream and how it's available in the mainstream, most people think of Tesla and GM and uh a lot of people, I'm not, I'm not really sure the extent to which most people know about this, but Uber and a lot of ride-sharing services are investing heavily into autonomous vehicle technology. And just want to clarify, from the technology front, is it the private sector that's sort of mostly driving the technological advancement on this uh, arena? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, automakers and AV uh, d- developers alike see the the vast potential and the promise of self-driving cars. Uh, I, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of hard not to, you know, overstate the benefits here. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's enormous. And 
In terms of um, practicality, um, why are self-driving cars important? Well, like I said before, the promise of self-driving cars is enormous. We the the first one being vehicle safety. Uh, most recent NHTSA data uh, suggests or indicates rather that ninety four percent of of accidents are attributable to human error, and wow. yeah, as a result, uh, over forty thousand motorists die per year. Wow. Um, and could you talk about sort of the um, the efficiency aspect of self-driving cars? Yeah. So uh, another another benefit of self-driving cars is that it would greatly reduce traffic and the various human costs associated with driving. So oftentimes, uh, the cause of traffic is because of a lack of communication between drivers and uh, the delayed response time. So what self-driving cars promise is that... Uh, that these cars will be communicating with one another and they'll be maintaining certain follow distances without getting too technical it basically ensures that cars stop and go at the right times and uh, this is something that humans are not that great at which is why we've always had traffic for as long as cars existed Mm -hmm. or cars have existed yeah and there's always also the benefits of as we've been talking about, decreased human attention on the road also leads to other opportunities. When humans aren't having to perform all those functions, there's a lot of, as you know, David and I, you and I have talked about too, accessibility issues and and quality of life that can be improved, both mm-hmm. for people who, for instance, aren't cr- maybe currently capable or as capable of transporting themselves for one reason or another uh and and likewise for people even who can drive their own cars but would rather maybe spend that time in the car doing something else oh yeah absolutely i I mean the the less time and energy we have to spend driving that's time and energy we could spend doing other things and i i think that's a huge part of uh what would not only improve efficiency but also productivity so People who have, let's say, an hour commute into the city no longer have to spend that hour or that energy paying attention to the road and instead can work on a project or an upcoming meeting and working on the agenda or whatever projects are, you know, uh, they're working on that day. So it's these are all things that just simply improve efficiency and equality. And like you mentioned, the quality of life is is uh, immensely improved with self-driving cars because the disabled can now get in a car and not have to worry about, um, you know, using the steering wheel, trying to trying to navigate um, the various uh, drive modes and all that. So it's it's just it makes it so much better for uh, the elderly and the disabled to get around, and uh, it, it's just yeah. So the the promise of automotive technology, automotive vehicle technology, is huge. Um, and I can't overstate that enough. Now, a lot of these things that we're talking about, though, as you mentioned, this is kind of the promise of where this technology is heading and its current state. You know, we're somewhere before getting to that fully autonomous. So as far as the current vehicles, we, you still need to be paying attention to the road and that you still have to be actively engaged as a driver, even in one of these more advanced cars, right? Yeah. So I think, I think and this is why self-driving cars have kind of gotten some heat in the media lately okay is because there have been uh self-driving car related fatalities on the road and it's unfortunate that they happen but they also highlight the need for drivers to still pay attention we are not quite at that point where we can not pay attention to the road at all and i think 
one such case was uh, that that man who um, tragically died in his Tesla while using autopilot. He wasn't paying attention, and the systems uh, did warn him, I believe, about the uh, about the uh, the truck moving in his way. And uh, had he been paying attention, he would have been able to regain control of the vehicle and avoid that collision. So mm-hmm. uh, these are all things allegedly. That... All these things, of allegedly. Course, <laughs> of course. I mean, I'm not. We are still the lawyers in the room. <laughs> of course, I'm going off what is on the record. Right. Yeah. And uh, that is uh, what Tesla has said, and I believe that's what the authorities have said. Uh-huh. Uh, it's simply due to driver negligence and inattention. And I think that just serves as a reminder to everyone else to simply understand that while these features are highly beneficial and make our lives easier, the danger is still there. This this isn't perfect yet, and it won't be for a while, uh, in my view. Well, as an avid technologist myself, one thing I always observe with the, uh, you know, looking from the uh, intersection between technology and the law is emerging technologies always are maybe a couple of steps ahead of our current legal system. And so I was wondering, could you give us an overview of sort of the general legal issues that needs to be resolved with respect to the uh, AV uh, technologies? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of of legal questions arise from the introduction of self-driving cars. Um, We can go anywhere from product liability to insurance schemes to uh, regulation and safety regulations in particular for self-driving cars. I, I don't. We should focus more on the regulation side, but obviously there are questions about responsibility and liability in the event of an accident or a defect in a part or something like that, or software bug. You know, who who should be held accountable in the event there is an accident between two self-driving cars or a self-driving car and a car operated by a human, right? So these are all very relevant, uh, very important legal questions that we need to answer moving forward as this technology approaches full automation. And I think you raise a lot of good points too, David, which is that when we think just in the same way as when we began this conversation, talking about how there are all these aspects of driving that we we tend to take for granted because we just look at it as this one unified, ubiquitous driving, right? And the same kind of thing happens with the legal problems where it's very easy, I think, to to narrow your scope on, well, accidents, right? Car accidents are one thing. There's also speeding. There's also, as you men- mentioned, insurance. And all of those spaces are spaces where potentially these regulatory schemes will need to go. Uh, for instance, in some of the other work that CLCT does, looking into the liability implications for different AI systems and seeing, well, what limitations are there? Are there spaces where regulators may want to step in and say, hey, wait a second, this is going to actually operate a little differently. An AV is going to be a little different than a standard car and therefore requires something different. And I think that's a great opportunity to lead in with the question of, okay, People are interested in AVs, and we've seen a lot of regulators express interest in regulating autonomous vehicles. Can you give us just a, an overview, overview? What's out there already? What are we seeing? So it's interesting, right? Um, you know, we have a federal system, so uh, both the state governments and the federal government make laws. And um, Unfortunately, the federal government hasn't really taken any significant steps in regulating self-driving cars. However, plenty of states have. 
Mm. Uh, 22 states have, uh, you know, at the time of this podcast, have passed legislation dealing with self-driving cars. Ten governors have issued orders, executive orders, uh, that relate to self-driving car regulation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we see now that, you know, there's a majority of states who, um, you know, have caught wind of this new technology and they want to be on top of it. Well... Uh, in terms of uh, looking at the legal landscape among different states, um, are there any uh, differences? Um, could you highlight some of the uh, sort of the main aspects uh, of of the uh, regulatory scheme of uh, major states? Sure. Uh, and I think one thing to note here is that every state differs in how they approach AV regulation. Um, some states are extremely permissive and want to attract as much testing and development of AV technology as possible in their states, while other states are a bit more cautious and they still require uh, human operators in the vehicles at all times. Um, we know that, you know, at least in the, uh, in the, more, in the more recent uh, Uber case where Uber was testing a, a self-driving vehicle that, that struck a woman, right? There, there was a human operator in the car, but, you know, you know, evidence suggests that this operator wasn't paying attention. And um, it's it really it remains unclear whether, you know, having a human operator in the car matters. Um, and I think that's partially why California and Arizona and other permissive states uh, have allowed testing of autonomous vehicles without a human operator inside. So um, to answer your question about, you know, how they differ, if they differ at all, yeah, they do differ. And uh, some of them differ in significant ways, which leads us to, you know, the, the question of how do we test, you know, across state lines and um, just various things like that. And so why is that important, especially this idea of testing these vehicles a- across state lines? Well, one thing in particular uh, is that we're it's the United States is a large country, mm-hmm. right? We have mountains, we have deserts. We have all sorts of climates and... um, We have little old Williamsburg with not a hill in sight. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, a a thing to consider is that when it comes to autonomous vehicle technology, these self-driving cars have to be prepared to drive in any climate and for any distance. Mm. Ideally, I mean, we're we're not we're nowhere near that yet. But um, some states like California, the benefit of California is that being such a big state, they kind of they kind of have an edge on over on other states because uh, California, being a large state, is exposed to various climates. Right, you go to mm-hmm. Northern California, it's very different from what you get in Southern California. Unfortunately, however, this doesn't account for the fact that if you go to more extreme parts of the country, like the Pacific Northwest or the Northeast, where you get rain or a lot of snow, respectively, in those regions. Um, self-driving cars need to be prepared for any climate. Right. And without a more uniform nationwide standard, these cars are limited to uh, specific states. And uh, that just that simply hinders the development and advancement of this technology. And I think, there are, I think some firms have been developing um, advanced radar systems that, that, penetrate the, that penetrate the ground and can detect where the road's moving or where it's heading despite it being completely covered in snow. Imagine that, um, at least for testing purposes, and as we're still at the infancy of autonomous vehicle technology, we might give a little bit of a head start in places with much more of a consistent climate, like in Southern California, for example. That might be a reasonable expectation, at least from my perspective. Yeah, and I think that we are seeing, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
David, but I think we are seeing that a lot of firms are testing in those locations and but are recognizing the importance of you know, yeah, you got to start there. Let's get the technology to a workable place there. But then we also know the practical reality that, you know, what we create in the lab has to work out in the open. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are just so many more. I mean, that's the challenge of this type of technology in general. There are so many more variables in the world than you can realistically test for until you put it out there and try it. Exactly. And I, I think um, I, I think that point is uh, very relevant in terms of the the practicalities or the or the or rather what what testing demands and mm-hmm. what we need to be testing for and what the regulators are thinking of when exactly. they're creating these laws right because regulations um, more often than not have you know agencies think of the practical considerations first mm-hmm. and foremost you know circling back a little bit to this idea of of testing and these state laws and the different permissiveness levels for testing it still strikes me though that we're talking from all these legal issues that we mentioned that can arise from autonomous vehicles. We're still mentioning a very, very limited scope. Like we're not talking about what happens when things go wrong. We're not talking about what happens when the cars are actually out in use. Just this this idea of can you and to what extent can you test these vehicles in a controlled way in the state? Are are we seeing regulation right now? Or what what is that relationship between these state laws and regulations and thinking about testing versus other things? I think you raise a very good point. And I think a lot of states right now are first and foremost concerned about getting cars on the road. So mm-hmm. um, they're more concerned about getting the self-driving cars on the road and getting getting them tested right. rather than thinking about the various things we brought up earlier about liability, insurance, and all that. Um, and I think what's happening right now, and we have a similar situation in California, which is one of the leading states of uh, AV testing, uh-huh. um, is that they have this kind of hodgepodge, like hybrid mix of insurance schemes where, uh, you know, if you want to test an autonomous vehicle, you have to have X amount of money set aside and given to, like, the Department of Motor Vehicles for insurance claims and whatnot. Because we know that insurance and liability becomes more complicated as things happen on the road. So it, it's interesting how it works because um, because there's no federal standard, states are having to resort to uh, mixing mm-hmm. and kind of figuring out, you know, in a piecemeal fashion. Uh, using the existing regulatory and insurance schemes to try to make uh, AV testing work. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, there there even are some states that kind of, and this you know helps us segue into our next portion of this podcast. But even some states that kind of presume that there, well, there must be something that the federal government says about this, or some federal re- regulations, and even right into the laws and orders that they're creating to say, okay, well, this governs this specific area. Uh, and then for for things like liability or, or other issues, well, we'll let the federal rule take in. But as you mentioned earlier, what is that? Is there a federal rule for these types of vehicles? Do we have that regulation? You're asking about the safety standards or... Or just so as it is right now, what is the existing federal model dealing with these autonomous vehicles at all? So what we have currently in terms of what the federal government requires in these self-driving cars Mm -hmm. is known as the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards. Um, Unfortunately, these standards are inadequate uh, considering the realities and implications of AVs. 
so for instance, the, the typical layout in a vehicle, right, with the steering wheel and the brake and acceleration pads, uh, the shifter being where it is, these are all things that will become you know, obsolete as we approach full, uh, mm. full automation in vehicles, right? No longer will we have to steer the vehicle. No longer will we have to press the gas pedal or the brake pedal or the clutch pedal or the, or the shifter. We, we don't have to worry about any of that. So um, these standards were made in consideration of those facts, right? Yeah. That cars have these features and they require these features, right? Having side view mirrors, having, uh, you know, having airbags. I mean, airbags are obviously important regardless, but... Mm -hmm. But they may need to look different. Yeah, and, and I think uh, in order for us to fully realize the potential and benefit of self-driving cars, we need to allow for firms to test different design layouts in a car mm -hmm. that may not necessarily have the conventional instruments or uh, uh, control panels or what have you in the cars. Uh, so, Are there uh, any ways for them to currently do that within the current framework to to allow for you know exemptions or exceptions mm -hmm. to that to those safety standards and rules yeah so uh the existing the existing framework right now uh is adequate insofar as firms may apply for exemptions from these federal motor vehicle safety standards unfortunately there's a cap on how many exemptions the department of transportation can approve which means, uh, you know, this is inevitably going to slow development as there are only so many exemptions they can grant. Mm. So whether it be the number of firms or the number of features they're trying to change, that's why the standards overall are inadequate because gotcha. it's it's simply capped, um, and there's no there there are no exceptions to this exception, right? So you can't you can't bypass that cap. And um, like multiple legislators have brought up the possibility of. Uh, raising that cap or getting rid of the cap altogether for cars that are classified as self-driving. Mm. And so earlier this week, I saw, I came across an article as of the timing of this podcast, where I believe it was GM had submitted a request and it got not necessarily approved, but it was being open for public comment on a lot of car redesign features and, you know, removing the steering wheel. I think even having the uh, the front seats being turning into face the center of the vehicle. So when I when I'm seeing that in the news, is this likely where that's where that's taking place? Is is requesting this type of exemption from the um, FMVSS? I I think it's either that or Congress, uh, hopefully in the in the coming months or the year, will uh -huh. uh, draft their own bill that will exist. Uh, concurrently with the federal motor vehicle safety standards because okay. if the these the existing safety standards are they serve a good purpose and they serve a good purpose with regard to conventional vehicles that require mm -hmm. human control and intervention so the way i see things going just from like a practical perspective is that any sort of federal bill that you know which would basically allow for the wholesale exemption of self-driving cars from these safety standards mm -hmm. i see that existing uh concurrently with these safety standards. And um, as a lot of, of our audience members might know, um, a lot of the um, federal regulations, they, their, their authority derives from uh, federal statutes. And I'm wondering whether or not um, the current federal statutes that a lot of the current um, regula federal regulation that the autonomous vehicles are sort of uh, applied there uh, don't give, I guess, uh, sufficient legal authority to kind of um, have much more of a permissive uh, regulation that 
it requires an actual act of Congress to give additional authority. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So um, based on what I've learned so far, my understanding is that, yes, you're right. Congress is the one that grants the Department of Transportation uh, any and all authority it has to regulate motor vehicles. Um, now, whether it creates its own bill or says, Department of Transportation, create your own regulations, I think it's fully within Congress's power or the Department of Transportation's power to create regulations. Mm -hmm. That said, uh, the Department of Transportation just last year published its AV 3.0 paper, uh, which is a guidance document basically saying, hey, you know, we're going to take this hands-off approach and we want to be technology technology neutral, which means we're not going to say, hey, we're going to require LIDAR in cars, you know, in self-driving cars. It LIDAR is, you know, a very common uh, piece of technology used in self-driving cars currently. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and that deals with the, the sensors and, and such. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't want to say like, hey, you know, we're going to require X, Y and Z sensors because, you know, they want the market to figure that out. And they think the market is in a better position to evaluate the existing technologies and figure out what's most appropriate for self-driving cars. They and don't want to go the way of the, the state that was legislating about electronic signatures and chose a very specific technology that never wound up being you know, the chosen, the used instance. Like you want to see yeah. where that's where it's going to go before you pick one. Exactly. And I think they recognize and rightly so that this technology is still in its nascency. And uh, in addition to that, they're not saying, you know, we're not going to regulate at all. They're, right. you know, they still want to promote consistency uh, across state regulations and of the various levels of government. Um, but by and large, this, this guidance document basically says, okay, well, I, I mean, I, I don't know how else to interpret it other than, you know, they're just going to see how things go and then figure things out as things progress, right? And in a way, they're kind of sending a message to Congress saying, you know, hey, if you guys wanted to do this, go ahead and do it. But, you know, agency-wise, this is their position. Now, speaking of, you mentioned earlier a few times from your research seeming like there's not insubstantial interest in Congress for passing a law. What progress has been made so far? Have there been uh, former attempts? Are there current attempts uh, to pass an AV bill? Yeah, so uh, there are two bills in Congress that have been considered. Uh, the first one being the Self-Drive Act. I think it's been, at least for all intents and purposes, superseded by the AV Start Act, which is mm. a bill that originated in the Senate. Unfortunately, both bills have stalled, and it's been over a year. So the reason for this is because lawmakers are uh, basically arguing over what we should be prioritizing in this bill, mm. right? Some say, well, first of all, we need to prove that these autonomous vehicles are actually safer than conventional vehicles. I think, you know, theoretically, it's very easy to make that argument, right, by removing the human from the equation when 94% of uh, accidents are caused by human error, right? Intuitively, you think, okay, well, having, you know, removing the human from the equation would, uh, it, it logically follows that we're not going to have so many accidents, therefore it's a safer technology. But uh, I think the legislators want more than that. I think they want to see something more concrete. Mm -hmm. And that's just one area uh, that legislators are concerned about. Another area, for instance, are the privacy interests at stake. Uh, Absolutely. A lot of a lot of data goes through these uh, these vehicles, and I think currently, even with vehicles on the road today, 
there are privacy concerns because as cars become more and more computerized, obviously we're not fully automated vehicles yet, but as cars become more autonomous, they become more dependent on their computers and technology. The types of information, such as where you're going, um, how often you go to places, these are all little tidbits of information that uh, as a whole will reveal a lot about uh, a specific individual. So these are all interests that need to be considered. And I think that's why lawmakers uh, are conflicted over over this bill is because they have no idea where this is going to go. It's kind of a rabbit hole if you think about it. And I think their concerns are justified. Nonetheless, the inconsistency in state law kind of demands this to happen. Um, I'm not sure in what form it'll occur, but it needs to happen nonetheless. What you just said kind of struck me. So uh, for the purpose of our audience, are you saying that um, hypothetically, if they drive one of these autonomous vehicles, that perhaps even their driving habits, the data collected from their driving habits, from the way they steer the wheel to how they behave on the road, that data may be incorporated to improve the autonomous vehicle's uh, capability in the future? Uh, well, that information certainly could be used, uh, but I think the privacy interest still remains. Oh, that's, I mean, right? of course, so, I don't want I don't want some company collecting right? my driving habits. That would so, be a bad idea. Yeah, so even, you know, even if automakers could collect my data, you know, I might be okay with, you know, them using it to improve their technology, but other people might not be. And these are all things that are very relevant questions in privacy law. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of informed consent and, you know, how your data is being used and whether you can limit that that use. Uh, these are all very relevant questions. And I think that's, I think federal lawmakers are acutely aware of that concern. And I think right now, especially with what we're seeing going on in the U.S. related to privacy law and also for these other emerging technologies, is very interesting because I, because we see for all of these emerging technologies, conversation very easily and quickly goes to privacy, both in the sense that emerging tech like autonomous vehicles because of the AI component raises its own privacy issues because of the data that it collects and how that data is being used and other issues like the black box problem, etc. But I think also it's because in our legal system, we while data privacy and cybersecurity laws are still developing, it's still an area that's just full of uncertainty and development and evolution but at the same time in in contrast to something like these emerging technologies it's much more well established and so i think that the conversation when we talk about regulation very naturally lends itself to okay well what do we do for technology in the sense of privacy and security what how are we already kind of thinking of these concepts and these concerns and i think that there's a lot of parallels to be drawn as we've kind of talked about today is the pros and cons the well on the one hand when we have state regulation it's it's messy it's broken down it's piecemeal but at the same time it's the epitome of this is a laboratory for democracy in the same sense that we talk about the automakers testing out their vehicles and seeing what works first before we require them to do it a certain way. That's kind of the counter argument there for why doing it the way that it's currently being done is a a good option for now until we know what problems we need to solve. Yeah. And when we know more about what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. So maybe it'll be easier to pick a winner from the federal government's perspective when the technology is more developed. 
Yes. Um, and uh, also another thing I, I read recently, this was last week, the, uh, the Department of Transportation actually has a new initiative to help AV developers. And this coincides with their AV 3.0 paper where they said they wanted to promote consistency um, and predictability in this patchwork uh, uh, of a regulatory scheme. And uh, this, I think it's, I think it's called uh, the Non-Traditional and Emerging Transportation Technology Council, or NET. Um, and this council seeks to help developers navigate regulatory and compliance hurdles. So um, this way, uh, firms don't really have to play the guessing game when it comes to testing across state lines, and instead can go to this council and say, okay, well, I want, I want to get this truck from California to Virginia. How do I make that happen? Mm-hmm. Right. So these are the questions that I imagine in the future the council will be tackling, and they could be tackling them right now. And likewise, I think what's very interesting, again, is we continue to look for what the future of that regulation is going to look like. We've talked a bit today, just between the three of us, about some of the priorities for those regulations, things like insurance, things like liability, things like, uh, you know, deciding the testing, what features are required for safety and privacy and all of that. But I think, too, especially once we start thinking about that, just like in the privacy realm where, you know, the California privacy law is very heavily influenced by the GDPR, we're seeing also other countries be heavily involved in this space and countries like in Europe regulating this space, maybe a little faster than we are by the nature of their legal systems. So what are we seeing that's happening abroad internationally that may help inform as our U.S. regulators expand into this area are there models to follow in that same sense? Yeah, uh, you know, Europe in particular is the the other, I would say, kind of competing region in the world where AV testing is happening. Um, that said, I want to reemphasize that you know most AV testing is occurring in the United States, mm. and it's because of how permissive our regulations are. The EU, um, generally speaking, is a bit more skeptical of the technology in terms of how they'll. Of, of how it'll interact with human drivers on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to your question, uh, yeah, so the both the uh, UK and the European uh, Commissioner Council, I forget the specific name, but they've they've passed uh, they've passed relevant laws uh, that um, that apply nationwide and in in the European Union's case uh, across the entire union. So. Uh, in July 2018, the UK, for instance, enacted the Automated Electric Vehicles Act, uh, which roughly resembles uh, the AV Star Act that has uh, the bill that's, that has stalled in, co- in Congress. And in March 2018, the European Commission mandated that all vehicles be equipped with autonomous emergency braking systems and forward collision warning systems. So these are all kind of, I, I guess it shows that these regulations can occur on uh, a region-wide or nationwide level, or Mm -hmm. in Europe's case, across all of Europe, right? So it's interesting, right? Because we now know that, hey, you know what, this is possible, and, uh, you know, our neighbors are doing it, and I think we can do it here. Well, interesting. Well, that's, I think, a great place to end our discussion. So, Daniel, David, thank you both so much again for being here to discuss this. It really is an exciting area of law that's developing around autonomous vehicle technology. And I've been glad to talk about both the benefits, what's currently being done, what challenges we're seeing, and where we think this is going to head. Uh, So it will be interesting to see where these laws continue to progress. 
To everyone at home, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Exhibit AI, to learn more about the intersections of law and emerging technologies. For more on CLCT, you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, LinkedIn, and on our website, LegalTechCenter.net. Last but not least, this podcast is supported by grant funding through the Silicon Valley Community Foundation, funded by Cisco Systems, Inc. We appreciate their continued support for our independent research efforts that's allowed us also to do this podcast. Thank you again to everyone listening. Until next time, this has been Exhibit AI. Exhibit AI.